0: This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, with a shout-out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all, to episode 150 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, October 16th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the insipid ghost. In this episode, we welcome creative director for Layers of Fears, Damian Kosurik, onto the show from Ansar Studios, working with Bloober Team to discuss just what it means to bring fear into gaming. It's an interview just in time for the spooky season. Other news, Gotham Knights is locked at 30 frames per second, and Xbox is bringing cloud gaming to the MetaQuest store. It's a celebratory episode 150, and I'm excited to share it with you. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, I extend words of kindness to all of you who took the time to review XCP over on iTunes and Spotify, be it as part of the Gotham Knights giveaway, the $20 Xbox game card giveaway, or just to support the show as we close in on 150 It absolutely made my heart sing this past week, guys, when I was getting DMs, getting tagged on Twitter, seeing emails with your iTunes reviews, getting to read those, seeing the Spotify reviews, getting to see those. Uh, Whether you were a new reviewer or you were sending me an old screenshot, I greatly appreciate you supporting the show. It absolutely means the world. We got up to over 90 reviews on iTunes on the American side alone, even more on the Canadian side, over 60 reviews over on Spotify. And that's the kind of stuff that helps me uh kind of compete with the big dogs, you know, like go toe-to-toe with some of the shows out there that have massive YouTube followings or lots of money and time uh to be produced and whatnot. And so for me to have my little, my little mini corner of the Xbox community, this small little hobby on the side for me, uh, that gets to punch above its weight and interview some incredible people, it means the world that you guys took the time to stop and and review the show, share your uh, Love for the show in various ways. Uh, It's pretty darn cool, all things considered, to be on this side of episode 150. I mean, to be recording this with you guys now, having started in, what, August, I think, of 2019, 150 episodes, 85 interviews with industry professionals, pretty wild to think. And I thought I'd share some of my coolest memories from the show, uh, just in general, to start. I mean, we've got plenty of news to talk about, a lot of listener questions but uh, I wanted to share just some standout memories of mine from episode one through 150 that just mean the world. Uh, you know, the very first episode was terrifying to me because I was branching out on my own, having been part of the Xbox Drive and having the support of, of Sean Capri and, and Xbox Canada and so many wonderful people there to be branching out and doing episode one of XCP and kind of capitalizing on this new vision I had. And uh, I think I've talked about this many times before, but XCP didn't start... Uh, in a way that I wanted it to in terms of like my mindset, it, it was born of something different. And uh, I was really nervous to start the show kind of without any of the support, any of the media contacts, et cetera, et cetera And to have people jump over and listen, I think we got 35 uh, listens on the first episode. Uh, th- that was scary for me. I'm like, is this good? Is this bad? And like, uh, the support of people just out of the woodwork to say, Hey, no, that's a good first start. Let's work on the levels on this. Let's try to work on uh, putting it, posting it here, that kind of stuff. I mean, I had so much support uh, from Joseph Moran in the very beginning, who every little thing that I told him that I was frustrated about, he was supportive and kind and helpful, uh, meant the world really uh, to, to have that. And then the very first interview of the show was with Edward Rowe. If you're unfamiliar, he was the, the creative lead behind Sparklight. Uh, if you remember that game, that was a really cool game. He was willing to come on the show, never having done a podcast interview, mind you, and knowing that my show was very young, he came on XCP and uh, shared his insight. And then Benjamin Rivers, right after that, uh, came on the next time. In the fourth interview of XCP, it was Steven Spawn from Able Gamers, which was really wild to me to think that uh, Steven Spawn would be willing to come on and, and share his insight and just what he does as the. Chief Operating Officer of Able Gamers. And then uh, from there, it kind of, of it had, had a really cool snowball effect. I mean, we talked to Rebecca Valentine, who at the time was with GamesIndustry.biz. Uh, we talked to the people behind Dead Cells. Andrea Renee came on. Mike Bithell came on the show to talk about, uh, you know, John Wick Hex and and just what he's been doing at Mike Bithell Games. And then I continue to see where we had people from Moon Studios to talk about uh, uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Tatiana Delgado from Call of the Sea, now Ryan McCaffrey came on on episode, or he was the twentieth interview, and he came on right after we interviewed Adam Brennicky, which was uh, at the time he he's the creative director on on Grounded. If anyone's unaware, Grounded had just launched into early access, which is wild to think about. Uh, and then it just it kept going. I mean, I'm scrolling through the list right now uh, from getting to talk to people like Danny Pena, who uh, at the time it was was hosting. Uh, what was it? Gamer Tag Radio, I'm sorry. I just, I just blanked on that because I'm just trying to think about all the great things he's done. And now you see him in so many places doing so much for uh, so many people. We had people from the Games on Industry uh, Harassment Hotline to come on and talk about how they help the mental health of gamers. Uh, goodness gracious, I'm still scrolling through. It's just really cool to see. Randall Thor came on the show, which was an absolute joy. Uh, developers of the Gunk. Osama Dorius, developer of Gotham Knights. Pretty darn cool. Jeff Grubb's been on four different times. I had the chance to interview uh, Brian Wagner from Crystal Dynamics to talk about Avengers, which was pretty cool given the journey that that game has been on. I think the Lorne Landing interview, Oddworld, uh, had a lot of, of eyes put on it because he called PlayStation Plus devastating to his game at the time, which was taken out of context, but it was really neat to see so many people check out the interview. Oh man, goodness gracious! We talked to phew, Ed Freeze, Ed Freeze, former executive VP of Xbox Publishing, which was pretty darn crazy. All things considered, some of the voice talent behind Halo. We had the voice of God uh, over here on Halo, or over here on XEP to talk about uh, just what it was for him to be, you know, this this staple of the Halo franchise. That was Jeff Steitzer. If I didn't uh, mention that. Oh, goodness, Seamus Blackley came on not too long ago. I mean, the original designer of Xbox came on not too long ago. And then just last episode, uh, in one of the supreme joys and a highlight interview for me in XCP's history, uh, we had the creative director of Sea of Thieves, Mike Chapman, came on the show. And that was just an absolute joy. And so for me to look back at this incredible list of 85 interviewers, uh, interviewees, interviews. Oh, man, I'm so I'm, I'm emotional right now. I'm sorry. Eighty five industry professionals have come on this show to talk about what it is they do to bring gamers games. That's just the coolest thing in the world. The 85th uh, interview is this episode, by the way. Dominic, or sorry, Damian Kosurik uh, working on Layers of Fear. He's working in partnership with Bloober Team. That's pretty darn cool. He, he shared some stuff about Unreal Engine 5 working with Lumen technology uh, and what Layers of Fears is. Uh, it's not a remake, not a remaster, but kind of both. Uh, really neat interview there. Just I hope you guys enjoy it, and I hope you've enjoyed the journey that we've been on. I've tried to be very uh, transparent in what my goals of XEP are and just what I want the show to be uh, in, in terms of content creation and how I manage things and how I don't manage things and balancing. I think I've missed, if I, if I remember correctly, I've missed a total of four weeks. Like, like uh, I've missed a week four times uh, by way of COVID, by way of... <laughs> my way of uh, traveling uh, and marrying and and such. It's been pretty wild, all things considered, but I'm really proud of XEP. And uh, it's nice to have a very small corner of the the Xbox community and the gaming community listen. And I hope that more people are able to find the show uh, and track back and listen to some of these interviews. i am trying to do a better job about using time codes so you can find just the interviews because some of the stuff isn't evergreen. Some of it is, and I appreciate that. But but thank you so much to all of you who have been on this journey with me. I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out uh, thanks to Sean Capri and Ainsley Bowden, Joseph Moran, Kevin Butler, uh, meaning the absolute world to me in, in a bunch of different ways. And uh, there's so many more like I could go on and I don't want to go on because I don't want to miss people. Um, so my wife who never listens to the show, I love her immensely. And it's really cool to think that she's let me give up so many Sundays to talk about Xbox and gaming and knowing how important it is for me to flex journalistic muscles. I used to be a journalist and now I'm in this moment of um, personal crisis and that teaching is getting really bad and I love teaching, but like, do I leave? And if I leave, what am I going to do? And do I want to flex these muscles again on a journalism side? And uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's been just wild to think about. So I'm I'm so appreciative of all of you listening. It's been quite a journey. I hope that the journey continues. I hope that more eyes continue to arrive to the show. Um, one of my great goals is that Team Xbox knows XEP exists, that they learn about it, that uh, Aaron Greenberg or or Phil or Sarah Bond or anyone else over at Team Xbox becomes aware of XEP. 150 episodes of doing my best to be supportive of developers, of gamers, of games, uh, criticizing and supporting companies as it goes, but never attacking. That's never been my goal is to put down... Uh, competition whilst still focusing on xbox like it's a gamer verse xbox gamer verse show uh, but it's never meant to be like one is so great one is so bad because i don't think that's the mentality or mantra that even xbox has any longer so i really have hoped that uh team xbox is able to take note and and check out xcp at some point because i've been trying to do my best to spotlight the people making games for gamers to listen to and that's always been the goal uh, of xcp on a couple different levels so Take that for what you will. I've blabbed enough uh, and whatnot. Thank you to all of you who reviewed. Oh, I should sh- share the winners. Oh, my goodness. See, the winners. The winners of the contest. Thank you for, for dropping reviews on iTunes, Spotify, etc. Uh, let's see. The two $20 gift cards. One of them is going to Twitter user Uh, The other one to I Not at... Uh, over on Twitter, the two of you have won uh, an Xbox $20 gift card. Congratulations to you. Thank you for supporting XEP. Uh, reach out to me via DM or email me insipidghost at gmail.com. Your names were chosen by random number generator uh, over on Google. So congrats to you. I had you all on a spreadsheet and there you go. Uh, the winner of a copy of Gotham Knights on a system of your choice goes to a uh, friend of the show, Kevin Ainsworth host of Project X Talk. Kevin, you won via random number generators. Thank you so much uh, to you for supporting XCP with your views and uh, for you yourself creating Xbox content. It was neat for me to see your name pop up uh, as the winner of the, the copy of Gotham Knights. Shout out to you. Uh, if there is a listener, by the way, that offered to create a piece of art for me uh, in, in, re- you know, in return for a copy of Gotham Knights, uh, DM me. DM me. That's a cool idea. And uh, next month, when the next paycheck rolls through, I think I may may be able to help you out there um, for sure. All right. Let's get to some gaming news and to our interview. One of the more interesting stories this past week is that xCloud, or rather Xbox Cloud Gaming, is going to be coming to the MetaQuest store. This one turned heads in a couple different ways because it has several implications and it's also being misinterpreted on a couple different levels. Uh, Meta and Microsoft announced during the 2022 MetaConnect... Conference that MetaQuest Two is going to be getting Xbox Cloud Gaming integration in the future, and that's going to allow gamers to be able to stream Xbox games to their MetaQuest headset. It was posted in an Oculus blog that hundreds of games are going to be uh, MetaQuest Store compatible, uh, and MetaQuest Two will allow games to be played on the 2D side of their screen, not inherently in VR, but rather on the the 2D element of that VR. Quest uh, ability and they'll be able to play Xbox games on it. It seems really cool. It opens up another, yet another avenue, rather, for Xbox game to be accessible. You've got console sales of, of Xbox One, Xbox Series S, X. Uh, You've got the PC side of sales. You've got Steam sales. You've got Game Pass subscriptions. You've got X Cloud on the phones. Uh, X Cloud on the tablets. X Cloud via Bing integration. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And now over on MetaQuest 2, or rather I should say soon for MetaQuest 2, yet another way for gamers to enter into the Xbox ecosystem. I'm really curious as to what the the, the benefit, not the benefit, the use of this is going to be, like the statistics on how many people are going to make use of it. Uh, having never put on a VR headset myself, I'm curious to know uh, just how it, comfortable it is to play 2D games, non-VR games. On a headset like that and just how well the streaming abilities will work for the MetaQuest 2 but it is neat to see that there is an option here for gamers to access xcloud uh, via this service so it's it's cool and it makes me think of ready player one just just putting on your headset and going into that world but not necessarily vr specific so that's kind of a neat concept Uh, And I'll be interested to see how it rolls out. Like It's supposed to come out soon, but no specific date at the time of this recording has been noted. It's cool. It's neat. Uh, Also, it was spotted by Brad Sams uh, that there is a new feature over on Bing. And it seems to be ripped and pulled directly from a feature set that Google Stadia, which is now being shut down, uh, used to have. If you go over on a Bing browser and search up, say, Forza Horizon 5, Uh, It will pop up with an option to play, and then it like two clicks after logging into your account, uh, you can just stream and play Forza Horizon Five via XCloud on whatever device you searched via Bing. That's a really cool feature, and it seems to be very under the radar, uh, very Google Stadia esque. So if you are a Stadia fan that is being disappointed, uh, maybe check out Bing because it's not a real talk. It's not a bad browser at all. It's, it's fine. It's just not the mainstay one, right? Um, but going via Bing and seeing if you can play uh, some of these Xbox games via cloud is a really neat option, but it seems to be very quietly under the radar. So it probably means they're rolling it out, testing it, seeing how it reacts uh, in, in general. And so I'm curious to see just what happens uh, in that respect, if that gets adopted or publicized in a greater way. Uh, not necessarily after this recording specifically, but just in general. Like, is that something we'll find out more overall? I also want to give a shout out to YouTube user RL Stein. He commented on an episode from episode 148 that I mentioned PlayStation is just starting to dip its toes into cloud gaming on this kind of meta topic of cloud gaming. Uh, and he says, but if you think about it, didn't PlayStation try cloud gaming first? PlayStation Now is a streaming service. They also, I think he mentioned uh, how they were doing uh, remote play with the, the PS Vita. And that's a good point. Uh, I think the difference is between PlayStation and Xbox in regards to cloud gaming is that PlayStation always seemed to have a branch or a portion of its uh, focus on cloud gaming, but it was never holistically in on it. Or at least it never felt like it to me as a PlayStation 4 and PS Vita, Vita user uh, pretty prominently, right? Those those were pretty mainstays in my gaming uh, acumen at the time i never felt like they were all in on cloud or remote play and it feels like xbox is diving all in they've been rolling xcloud out since 2019 now they've been making it available on more devices the Razer kishi became a thing and now there's more versions of that uh, out into the wild they've battled apple and they've gotten xcloud over into the apple space they're rolling out this bing feature all of the game Pass libraries uh, library is available on cloud it seems to me that they're fully in on it. And so perhaps that's why I feel that Xbox is more prominently in that space as opposed to crediting PlayStation uh, with starting that early on. Uh, I have to go really go back and look at timelines, but it's a matter of uh, feeling and gut instinct, I suppose, as a, you know, versus anything else in some respects. So take that for what you will, but RL Stein with a good point that PlayStation has done some good things in cloud gaming. It just hasn't at the time felt like they're all in on it. Another interesting thing that came out this past week was a little bit of fuzzy math that allowed us to figure out just how much revenue Game Pass has generated uh, in recent years, specifically down to uh, 2021. Now, And this was done you know, based on some of the information that came out of the Brazil uh, Activision documents and whatnot. And so there's a little bit of fuzziness in there. And before I go further on that, a lot of people are using Brazil as this like, stand-up champion for the Xbox deal. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But when you're citing Brazil and Saudi Arabia as your two, you know, sources of, well, this should absolutely go through because they said this. Um, that that surprises me because the Brazil has a very corrupt government. They have their own uh, political leaders that are, you know, messing with elections and and bribing things. They've been caught many times talking about not giving up power. And Saudi Arabia certainly has a well documented history of uh, human rights violations as well. And so while I agree that the Activision Blizzard deal, based on my very amateur knowledge, should go through, right? It, looks like it's not an anti-consumer deal looks like it's not a uh, monopoly type deal it, it's maybe not the best to point out Saudi Arabia and Brazil as your, your standout champions it's they're, they're small things amongst many so just maybe that's a very armchair analyst approach maybe I'm being a bit too emotional in my response to it and let me know of course uh, but I, I look at that and I'm like cool nice I appreciate Brazil's laws that allow us to insight on some of these things but also like come on they are not they're not the role models of the right way to do things all the time, every time. All right. Back to this idea of Game Pass generating $3 billion in revenue 2021. Uh, it was stated in these documents that Xbox earned about $16.28 billion uh, in 2021. And Game Pass generated about 20% of that total revenue. So you can do some kind of armchair math there uh, and figure out that Game Pass drew in about $3 billion. And the question becomes, is this good? And in my mind, three billion from a game pass service doesn't sound big, which is funny because you put it next to like, you know, other amounts of money, and you're like, three billion is a lot of money. And then you look at like, oh, they're spending seventy billion on Activision, seven billion on Bethesda, etc. So I don't really know. But when I look at this, I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem like much. But then it kind of makes sense given that we had game delays out of 2021 that include Starfield and Redfall. And it's like, all right, well that 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 adds and lends credence because those games are expected to draw quite a bit of attention, and um, they're they're meant to drive users to the service, of course. And then you've got Avowed and Fable and Perfect Dark and so many other games uh, on on the the list to come out over the next few years. So I would expect that the 2022 numbers are higher, uh, but perhaps not by much. But 2023, when we are able to find out those numbers, which is probably in 2024 and beyond. Uh, I would expect it to kick up a good sharp bit, uh, particularly as they're working on getting games in xCloud available in more places. So it's great to see it's not losing. And at the end of the day, like Microsoft's money is not our money. and We shouldn't hold ourselves to it. But it's a neat bit of insight to find out how much money is being made from Game Pass to find out that they are in the black, that they're generating revenue from the service. That's awesome. They're doing a good job at bringing third-party games. Scorn just released day and date into Game Pass. They've got uh, a first-party game in Pentiment coming out in November, which I don't think is a big big draw, but it is really great to see them supporting developers of different sizes within their own studios. Um, and I'll be really curious to see how these numbers change after Starfield, Redfall, About, etc. arrive. Uh, equally, equally fascinating is in that same bit of uh, information we found out that Halo Infinite is doing more numbers than quite a few other games uh, over on uh, the Xbox side outdoing even uh, games like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh I'm having a full on brain fart Rocket League whew, that was very embarrassing for me uh, outperforming Rocket League as well uh, so like it's cool to see Xbox uh, titles like Halo Infinite doing well despite the general mindset being like oh tragedy uh, you know so it goes so it goes. One story that kind of took me off guard in the lead up to launch. And at the time, no review code has been provided. I don't have any uh, firsthand experience. I'm hoping to be playing it by the next time you hear episode 151. But Gotham Knights had a bit of rough news come out this past week and some bad PR uh, for sure in that it is now. Uh, public knowledge that the game is locked at 30 frames per second on the console side. A community manager acknowledging this and explaining that it is in large part due to features involved with co-op, meaning that a toggle option could not be implemented. Now, uh, the the winner of the Gotham Knights code, Kevin Ainsworth, wrote in uh, with a question. And then I'm going to follow that up with a Captain Logan question as well. Kevin says, congrats on episode 150. Wondering how you feel about the backlash regarding it being only 30 frames per second. And then Kevin Lo- or Captain Logan chimes in with Gotham Knights is potentially being at 30 frames per second. Do you feel like this is a red flag similar to what we saw with 343 and Halo Infinite co-op? So uh, it's interesting to look at the backlash on the 30 frames per second because I, too, am frustrated by that. I would think that 60 frames should be a standard toggle option, particularly given that the game can be played in single player. And I'm surprised that that's not provided as an option at launch, given that they ditched last-gen hardware. It's a current-gen-only game. And if you want to play it single-player, why can't you uptick the frame rate? And then if you are doing co-op, why can't you down-tick it to 30 frames? I'm surprised by that. But I'm not a developer, and I'm seeing a lot of people play Armchair Analyst, and they're perhaps more qualified than I am. I'm curious to hear the, the, uh, you know, like, the, the actual experts go in and have a go at, at just what this means for it. It's odd seeing people blame the Xbox Series S. People are going out of their way on social spaces to to call this as a, a Series S problem, and this is the reason. Uh, to my knowledge, I've seen no evidence of this at the time that we're recording this. It sounds more like console war discussions and uh, people arguing about things they don't know about as opposed to being based on evidence. I think there was one developer that was casually tweeting and it wasn't a developer from WB Montreal or AAA studio that was saying it could be the Series S. And I I think we need to wait for experts on that one. Either way, it's a bad look for Gotham Knights to have ditched the last gen consoles and then still come out at a locked 30 frames per second. To the same extent, I'm not going to be forfeiting my experience to play a game I'm very excited about just because it's at 30 frames. I don't think that That's a huge deal in the big picture of things. I do want optimized performance in the games that I play, but I've played a lot of games that are great at 30 frames. And after a few minutes, I don't notice it, right? Like your brain adapts to it pretty quickly. Um, It's surprising to me that they haven't even mentioned that a patch is coming at some point where they would be able to have a performance mode. It seems like performance mode should be standard uh, because most of the time it's 4K 60 or 120 uh 120 not most of the time I should rephrase that 4K 30 uh or 1080p at 60 frames uh but I'm a 60 frame person like I played Cyberpunk in performance mode right like I would I prefer clean frames and a smooth experience as opposed to seeing 4K lighting looks like I won't get that option in Gotham Knights it still remains my most anticipated largely in part because I love comic book games largely in part because I love Batman and the Batman universe and I'm really anxious to play this game through uh I've not seen any early reviews. I don't have early touches on the game at this point. Uh, So I'm anxious to just see what happens with it. Uh, But it is odd for this to happen. Now, it's a Captain Logan's question of, do I feel like this is a red flag, similar to how we saw with 343? Yeah. Yeah, I do think it's a red flag. Uh, But it also makes sense that they would keep quiet on it until just a week before. We'll see just what happens. It does feel odd. But it also makes sense that they would keep bad news Uh, as quiet as possible at this point, not even the the Twitter handle has tweeted about it. It's just been a community manager in discord that confirmed it. So we'll see what happens with it for sure. Um, I would bet good money. Cough, cough, hint, hint that you're going to see more characters coming to Gotham Knights Huntress. And uh, that means in large part, you're going to have more patches, more updates. It's a 20 ish hour game per character, I think. And then they've got a four player mode that's on its way in November which is really exciting. It's a you know free for anybody that owns the game, so you don't have to pay DLC for it, but they've got a four-player assault mode, which is like a wave-based horde mode, which I'm really excited about. Uh, really hoping to jump in there with Suddy and Charles and hopefully Kevin, uh, Mr. Babbitt, and jump in and just be the Gotham Knights. Uh, I fully expect Batman to be a character at some point down the line. I don't think he's the first character you're going to get to play as, but we'll see. Um, I, I, just, I keep hearing Huntress uh, on the back end of stuff. We'll see. That's just a rumor. But uh, I'm excited to see just what could happen with characters from Gotham Knights. Like, imagine if the game expands and lives because it's not a live service, but like you get character drops. What if you got Green Arrow, right? How cool would that be if Green Arrow was was one of the Gotham Knights meant to save Gotham um, as well? And I really, I'm really anxious to see just what happens here. Uh, this is my most anticipated game of the year, and I'm not going to let 30 or 60 frames be the reason I don't play it, but it might be the reason I play it less or more. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's get to listener mail. This one first comes from Mr. James Suddy, one of my good buddies. He says, do you have any regrets or things that you would wish you would approach differently as far as XEP? Do you think you would make it to 150 episodes uh, or did you have a higher goal? So, yeah, I have a lot of regrets. Suddy, this this show was born of malice. I was angry at Sean Capri um, for how we handled the Xbox drive in that window of time. I was angry at myself for not being more mature. Uh... I created XCP because I wanted to do interviews and I wanted to have a more serious take on Xbox, but I think it was that meant that the game was or rather that this show was created in a bad way. And so I regret the way that it was formed, but I'm really proud of where it is now and the standing I have with the people that, that kind of caused the show to be created. Uh, I wish that I had put the show on YouTube earlier, even though it's audio only. That's proving to be a really good benefit for articles to be picked up from the interviews. Um, that's been, that, I think that would have been helped me a lot. And I wish that I had studied how to make thumbnails sooner. Uh, I am not a producer at all. I think any listener of the show is aware. Like I'm st- I got some great feedback last week from a listener saying, hey, the podcast isn't loud enough. So I reached out to Sean Capri uh, and he's kind of giving me guidance on how to fix and make this podcast louder without redlining. So I'm going to work on that for this episode, but it's like a thing that I need to address, right? I wish that I had been able to mentally stabilize myself at times and address those things sooner thumbnails uh clean audio interviews on the right platform i wasn't using zencaster early on putting the show over onto youtube those are all things i think would have really helped had i done them sooner and as far as a goal uh my goal has always been to get on xbox's radar uh, and eventually earn an invite to to e3 or their equivalent of it that's always been and remains my goal is I would like for Team Xbox to know that it exists. Um, I'm not sure why that is so important to me, but it is. Uh, and so every time I see people share it or tag Team Xbox or uh, put it over on Reddit, when Reddit's a big one. Like when I find out my show has made it onto Reddit, that means a lot to me. I, I can't explain why, but I think it's because it's a solo endeavor. I don't frequent those places uh, and it means that somebody is listening in a space that I'm not prominently at if that makes sense. So uh yeah, that's been always been my goal is to to land on Team Xbox's radar and I think I'm being more public about that now. I I kind of kept that quiet in the early days, but now at 150 episodes in, yeah, why not? Like what's the loss I think is the the difference I've been doing this for 3 years now uh and I don't mind saying that, right? Like I don't mind at all saying that that's my my goal. 3 years of XEP, 85 interviews. I'd like to, to be recognized by the people that uh, are in charge of the ecosystem I cover. But if, they, if not, I'm still getting a lot out of it, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to trying to keep everything kind of in perspective there. Nothing means more than seeing people respond to me, right? Like knowing that people listen to the show. That means a lot. Uh, whether it's five people, 35 people, 500 people, 5,000. It's a matter of like knowing people listen matters to me too. So it's, it's, there's a lot there. I hope I answered your question well. Uh, let's see. Captain Logan asked a similar kind of related question. What's one thing you, you tell yourself when you started out start for the right reasons. Uh, yeah, I'm very clear on that one. I wish I'd started for the right reasons and not been angry and bitter. That was an unhealthy way to create content. And I think my content suffered. Um, I've ebbed and flowed on my ability to get guests onto the show and and mattering to people. Uh, there I get rejected so often from some interviews and accepted from so many others, same with review codes. and I wish and and I would tell myself that it doesn't matter as much, right? Like that's not the stuff that matters. What matters is people listen and you engage with them in your social spaces. You talk to them, you bring them content and discussions of stuff they are interested in. And so I wish that I had paid better attention to that, and I would advise myself to not worry so much about being rejected if you request an interview or code and just prioritize making the content that you enjoy. Uh, It's advice I would give myself even now, right? Like um, there are a lot of games coming out this October and I know I'm slated to get some codes and I'm not getting others. And sometimes that weighs on me. Like why didn't I earn the ability to review X game or Y game early or get to talk to this team or that team early when another content creator does? That's a really unhealthy way to think about things. That's not how things work. That's not how it should work. Because I've had a lot of success, and I've talked to some amazing people, and I sometimes don't give myself credit there. So, yeah, yeah, Logan, that's, that's, uh, that's the advice I'd give myself from when I started out. And now, let's see. This one comes from Samuel Adams, host of Exhibition. He says, my question is, how have you seen the Xbox scene evolve in 150 episodes? Obviously, it's been a wild ride over the last few years. I'd love to hear your perspective on the evolution great question sam um it's been really unique i think for me to have started off in 2019 fresh off of going to e3 uh and then in 2020 there's a pandemic and we didn't early on know what that meant and we saw xbox try to create uh some showcases and they tried to have a showcase and that led to some funny moments of people trying to you know skype in their video zoom in their video from their living rooms or whatnot and in some cases very successful in other cases an absolute tragedy Uh, and and it it led to some fun memes we've seen a lot of changes i mean the xbox fridge was a thing i now have one of those in my classroom by the way am i not the coolest teacher right like i've got the xbox fridge in my classroom for a a little water bottle there here and there Uh, but yeah xbox has really tried to adapt to the circumstances of the world. They launched the new systems. xCloud has become more mainstay, and we've watched how they've managed it. Uh, In that time, we've seen acquisitions of Bethesda. We've seen the the attempted and current uh, involvement of the acquisition for uh, Activision Blizzard, which has huge implications on the gaming space, which has led to some really cool conversations, uh, for sure. So we're seeing Xbox evolve with the times and try to get forward thinking on a lot of stuff and that to me has been uh, the coolest element of covering them over the last three years in 150 episodes this next one comes from good friend of the show Todd Oxtra who ever reliable I think in like 150 episodes he's given me questions for like 130 of them that's freaking cool and absolutely makes my day uh, he says congrats on the semi-quintessential qu- semi oh that's a word Semi-Quincentennial, he means episode 150. Uh, He says, what game series do you wish you could get into but just doesn't seem to click? Oh, man. Uh, I've done a good job at branching out, by the way. Uh, Elden Ring allowed me to experience Souls games, uh, and I've been trying. I tried Cyberpunk and really enjoyed that one. So I've been doing a good job at expanding my horizons, particularly in this year of kind of not as many AAA games on the first party side. But uh, Elder Scrolls and Persona, those two genres really just, or those two two series really just make me struggle. And in regards to Persona, JRPGs, the weeb element, that's not me at all. I just don't understand it. And I think with Persona specifically, because you're in a school and there's teachers being romanced and such, I just won't go there. It's, it's too weird, too close to home, never going to be able to, to get past that. It's just too awkward. Uh, So I, so I don't think Persona is ever going to be for me and JRPGs in general, not as much on the Western RPG side, Elder Scrolls. I've tried to go there and the games just don't play very well. They're not very fun in terms of a a speed of play type thing for me. Same with the old Fallout games, but more recent Western RPGs, Witcher 3, Elden Ring, uh, stuff like that, I've been able to enjoy. And so I don't think it's a genre thing. I think it's the product of the times. And so I'm I'm making my way into that and I'm actually anxious to check out the next single player adventure in Elder Scrolls, but that's, you know, a decade away at least. Uh, So, you know, I'll try Starfield for sure because RPGs I'm learning to love. Uh, And so that's, that's kind of, those are my two answers, Persona and Elder, Elder Scrolls at this time, but in general, it's the RPG genre that I am not a hundred percent sure on. This question comes from Blaze Knight. He says, I started listening to you, your podcast back in the Xbox One days, so my question is, why did you decide to make Xbox your topic when it was clearly the underdog in the gaming space? Oh, man. So, Blaze Knight, you were with me when I was on the Xbox drive and and uh, also with Bobby Pauls when I would make Xbox appearances in his content creation um, I was a PlayStation Four person when that ge- that generation began. In fact, my best friend Kevin Butler was—he was dead set on staying with Xbox during the Connect days—and I was like, "No, I want to go where my dollar is valued most." And early on in that generation, PlayStation was valuing both consumers and developers far more. You had the PlayStation Loves Indies uh, campaign, which which really paid dividends, especially in them launching Indies onto their service. Uh, of PlayStation Plus at the time. I mean, think about Rezogun, think about Compulsions game. Uh, they, They did a really good job of just bringing indies in. Some of my best, best favorite memories come from indie titles over on PlayStation Final Horizon and Mercenary Kings and so many others that I just enjoyed in the indie space. So PlayStation was doing a lot to support indies and then they launched at $100 cheaper. They weren't forcing you into certain DRM elements and stuff that Xbox eventually walked back but it did not feel like the late metric era valued the customer, whereas PlayStation, Shuhei, uh, Kevin—oh God, whatever—I forgot his name—they uh, just felt like they they cared more about us, right? Sean Layden seemed to be caring about consumers and, and gamers, and so I was with uh, with PlayStation for a good while during that generation. And then, as the metric era came to an end and Phil came in, uh, it felt like there was a mental shift on the the mentality of what Xbox was trying to do. Mind you, a lot of the metric era stuff really did make its way into what we're doing now It was too forward thinking at the time. And they were rushing develop development on stuff that consumers weren't ready for. And also they weren't making games for me at the time. They just weren't. Whereas now they absolutely are. So, when Xbox started really shifting their mentality and they brought backward compatibility to be a thing, they started uh, talking about things like Game Pass and they reduced their price and they redesigned things and Gears uh, 4 came out. It was when Gears 4 came out that I was like, all right, we're back to making games that I care about and focusing on me as a consumer. And that's what let me shift kind of my main system from PlayStation to Xbox. And then From there, we had Game Pass be announced. I joined the Xbox Drive to talk about games because I loved games in all forms, and Game Pass allowed me to play a lot of indie games that were unique and not known about. So I was able to find my voice there, uh, and it just felt like Xbox was valuing me as a customer more than what PlayStation was doing halfway through that generation. They started off strong valuing the customer, and I didn't feel that my dollar would travel as far on the PlayStation side as the Xbox side partway through that generation. That was why. I mean, I'm a teacher, and I don't make much money, and I wasn't married at the time, so I didn't have that second income. And so I needed to go where my dollar was most valued, and so I did. And I also enjoy talking about games. So it made a natural fit. Uh, and then you you flash forward oof, three years of XCP and uh, five to six years, depending on where you start, of Xbox coverage, and it just, I, I feel at home here discussing this topic, never discussing Xbox at the expense of its competitors, uh, never trying to sugarcoat things. It just, it's just, is just where I feel most valued and it's the beat that I cover. So that's where I try to, to stand on that one. Let's go with uh, two more questions here. Jared Ga- uh, Gaither. What's up, Jared? He says, I imagine Xbox will continue its current course with hardware and cloud gaming for a while, but let's say Xbox decided to venture into a new market. Where do you think they should go? Handheld, virtual reality, or something else? Jared, I think we've seen a lot of signs that they're already trying to do that. I mean, we had the Project Keystone, which was uh, alluded to on Phil Spencer's shelf, which was very aloof, but then the Xbox account tweeted about it, so it made more sense to say that, all right, that's, that is something. Now, we've seen them launch yet another... Uh, Razer Kishi successor and the idea of playing games on your phone in xCloud. We talked about the Bing element of playing things in, in cloud gaming. It's coming to MetaQuest. We're seeing that be the case. So I think cloud streaming is the next space, and that opens us up to so many other options, right? They've, already, they've launched this generation with a diskless system. That says a lot about where they're going. So I don't think handheld gaming is their target. I think gaming in as many places as possible is their target. And that includes VR. That includes handheld. But uh, I think they're doing it right with VR. They're not spending the R&D to to develop and create and sell during a hardware shortage their own VR proprietary system, but rather making their way into other places. That seems to be the right way to go about it, uh, at least in, in my mind. Last question comes from Mr. Rune Came, What's up, Rune? He says, how do you feel your podcast has evolved in 150 episodes? What have you learned? Where do you see XCP 150 episodes from now? Congrats on this achievement. Huge fan of your podcast and concept. That means a lot, man. Thank you. I think I've answered a lot about what I've learned. Uh, but as far as where I see XCP, um, it's hard to say, actually. And I'm not being a aloof or, or you know silly when I say that. I really hope, and I, I've talked about this too much now at this point, that I want to be on Team Xbox's radar. And that means interviewing more people from Team Xbox. That is something I would like to do. It meant the world when I got to, to have on someone from Moon Studios to talk about an Xbox exclusive in Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And then when I got to have an Xbox exclusive game in The Gunk, when Ulf came on to talk about The Gunk. That meant a lot, right? And then to kind of see... Ed Freeze and to see Seamus Blackley come on the show, and then Mike Chapman, creative director of the most popular first-party Xbox game right now, and uh, see if these means the world. That's the kind of stuff I hope to see more of. That's what I would like XCP to continue to be to spotlight those big Xbox pillar titles. But then in the next episode, the small stuff. Right in this episode, it's Layers of Fear. The episode before Mike Chapman was Solstice. I love getting to spotlight both. And so my hope is to continue doing that with the biggest games being, you know, inter- the biggest games getting a spotlight on the show by way of interviews and then the smallest games in the next episode. I really think it's important to do both and to talk about both and let you hear from both because the gaming is not about just the AAA and it's not just about the indie, it's both. And I think that's XCP's greatest strength. So whether we go for 10 more episodes, 100 or 1,000 more episodes being a solo show, it's it's dependent on a lot of things but I hope I'm able to spotlight people big and small. That's where I see XCP going. And if that means I get to to go on, uh, walk over at E3 and and be invited and get to go talk and shake hands with people, that'll be amazing. If I'm sitting at home and covering it from here, still amazing because we're talking about games. Alrighty, guys, that's going to do it from me. I hope you enjoyed this reflective episode 150. I spoke from the heart more than I usually do, not in a, a disingenuous sense, but just babbling about the show itself versus the games themselves so i hope you enjoyed it Uh, i'm going to send you now to my interview with damian kosurik Uh, he is the creative creative director on layers of fears he works with Anchar studios they're working in conjunction with bloober team Uh, focus on the spooky some unreal engine 5 talk i hope you enjoy it thank you all for your support take care Well, I am very excited now to welcome Damien Kosorek, creative director of Layers of Fear from Anshar Studios onto the show. Damien, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Uh, it's nice to meet you finally. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, listeners, we played volleyball in terms of back and forth, setting up the times for this, and I had to cancel because of a hurricane. Uh, it was a whole thing. But Damien, I'm grateful that you were willing to uh, make the time, reschedule, because Uh, It is the right month to be talking about horror. It's the right month to be talking about the spookies uh, and layers of fears. It's it's coming out early 2023, but uh, I have so many questions for you ready to get ready to rock. Yeah, of course. Okay, Fire away. So, all right, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. So the game was revealed at, at Summer Game Fest, I believe, this past summer. And it says that Layers of Fear is a title made by Blueber team in cooperation with Anshar Studios. What does that mean exactly?
1: So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. So uh, we are co-developing the, the game. Uh, so Anshar and Bloober, we, we've worked previously on Observer System Redux. So where that one was just you know a remaster and a technical upgrade, uh, Bluebird wanted to come back to the layers of fears universe and, and kind of you know bring it back uh, as it's very important for them and we wanted to you know make a step forward so so it was a, a natural expansion in which we came back and are working together to kind of to bring bring it back to you in the best way possible
0: interesting okay all right now when the game was revealed and people got to finally see that this was going to be happening and and, uh that anchar was working on this uh how did how did that reveal feel how good did that feel to see your work now finally being public huh (laughs) you know it's it's always
1: a bit tense before you do it it's like you never know like uh, especially like this there were many people that you know liked the the universe but you never know what the reaction would be you always doubt yourself you know and it was really awesome to see that uh, that people still crave for that that they had a lot of good feelings with that a lot of good memories with that and uh, kind of they have excitement for that uh, to play it and that kind of brings excitement to us as well to, to kind of to bring it to, to keep working on it and it kind of it's a good feeling to see that, you know, uh, people really like it.
0: Yeah, big time. I can I can imagine. So how long have you guys been working on the project? I mean, we saw the reveal this past summer. Uh, and at the moment, it's slated for early 2023. But how long have you guys been actually working to, to make this project?
1: Huh, so, uh, you know, when you take all of this into consideration, then probably a lot longer than this. But in production, we were for... I've almost two years before the reveal, uh, I think, uh, so there were, you know, a lot of prototyping before then, then, then kind of, we went into full production.
0: Now for clarity's sake, uh, I've noticed in my research, some people are, are wondering what layers of fear actually is. Is this a game? Cause it says, uh, whenever we look it up, uh, that it's built on the foundations of layers of fear one and two. Uh, is this a remake of the first two games? Is it a remaster of sorts? Or is it something more, kind of more complex or in between? Uh, so <laughs> uh, maybe all of those and
1: none of those. Uh, okay, all right. So, so the best answer is that uh, that's why we are also calling it Layers of Fears mm-hmm. uh, and not Layers of Fear 3. So since this is an important franchise. This is not a sequel. Mm-hmm. But this is also not a simple remaster. This is not, you know, we took one and two and repackaged it. Uh it's it's a reimagining. That's that's how we call it. That's that's our goal to do it. So we are using one and two. So you will play through the stories of one and two. That's uh that hasn't changed. Those stories haven't changed. Mm-hmm. But we have expanded that. We've added more stuff we've added uh, we've improved the gameplay we've improved the visuals that's that's a big part uh, we've improved you know the the theme but we've also expanded the narrative we've shed some more light on on different events on different characters and we've expanded it with new content so um for example we've added a whole new big chapter where uh, I don't know how familiar you are, but we've added a whole new chapter that where you kind of play as the wife mm-hmm. uh, from the original layers of years. Like this is the kind of the different side of the story that kind of puts things in a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And we've added a, one more uh, chapter that kind of connects it all together and uh shows that the bigger world that was already there the bigger kind of the connection that that wasn't really that seen in in one and two so so reimagining is the best way that we can we can say so people will have those familiar things they will see what what they loved in the originals but there is more to that than there is there is more things to uncover and more things to see for for those that are familiar with the originals
0: gotcha gotcha. We had one listener James uh Mikola Jusky wrote in uh, really asking you know if he's a big fan of the originals or if he's played the originals how different it was, but it sounds like if he was to go back he'd get some new experiences as well
1: yeah yeah that that definitely that that was our goal to kind of you know offer something new offer something interesting.
0: Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, I'm curious now, if you've got the team working on on content that's been made originally, and now you're updating it, altering it, kind of allowing players to get new experiences from it, how do you prepare your team to step in and work on a franchise like Layers of Fear? Are you are you making them go back and say, all right, go back, play through the original two? Are you having them sit down and play other games with similar vibes? Is it a matter, matter of having them watch horror footage? Uh, What goes into preparing to work on the Layers of Fear franchise?
1: Huh, uh, that's a really good question. And, well, you know, making games is hard and different genres have different uh, things that kind of make it harder. So for for Layers of Fears, like, since we are still in the world and we are, uh, you know one of the important things is to not break the world you know if Mm -hmm. if the story happened a certain way we don't want to break it we don't want to kind of change that we want to expand on it Mm -hmm. so a lot of this like the core is to play the originals uh, to get to know them really well to get to know the details to get to know you know what is in even in the games but what was in the original design for example or, or original text that that players don't don't really see uh, so that that knowledge is kind of the basics of it but then again yeah we are making a psychological horror so there is a lot of stuff connected to that 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 you need to know to know how to expand it, how to write the story, how to, uh, what to do, what not to do. And that's a lot of research and a lot of, you know, trial and error on how to how to do it to add something important to the game and not break the original. So, like, for example, right now, not to go too deep into this, like, new people that come to our team, like, they start with a, you know, package, which is the originals getting to know there's the documentation and uh, references for Mm -hmm. us that kind of kind of focus on the points that we want to either improve or or add to to the games
0: interesting okay i'm curious if uh and we have one listener dave wrote in asking if Bloomberg's experiences, maybe working on like the medium or some of their their experiences there, or and I'll I'll expand this to be like Anchar's experience working with Observer. Do those there are there any lessons from working with those that make their way in to to layers of fears itself? So there are always lessons. Uh...
1: Like, it's hard to sometimes pinpoint the exact ones, uh, especially Mm -hmm. for me, for example, since I'm working at Anshar, well, Layers of Fears uh, is my first project at Anshar, Mm -hmm. but there is a lot of, uh, you know, community knowledge from Observer as well, like a lot of technical stuff, what should we, and should we do, where are the problems, So what to avoid, or where, where are the risks, uh from medium like that's more of a mm, that's a different project so there's like you know it's not like let's take that gameplay part and put it in there it's more of a you know people also learn and uh, you know question how to write the story how to how to connect it together so while there are lessons it's not like super specific in many ways mm-hmm. and most of them are technical but of course you know you learn with every project so there is there is a lot of you know the simple stuff like uh, you know if you want to build an atmosphere in a room like you shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that or how to operate the lighting or you know the things that from observers. as well is that you know, it's first person. So what can you do in first person and what cannot you do in first person to kind of mm-hmm. to achieve the effect that you want. But overall, Layers of Fears is a very different game. Like mm-hmm. Observer is closer, but Medium is kind of, you know, that's Blueber a few steps forward. And mm-hmm. Layers of Fears is kind of um, the first really major one, the big one, but the the atmosphere is more important than anything else.
0: I would argue something very similar, given my experience with layers of fear, is that uh, atmosphere and lighting play a huge factor in it. Now, layers of fears is going to be created using Unreal Engine 5, and that opens up the door to a lot of things. The the website lists HDR, 4K resolution, ray tracing, etc., and even making use of the Lumen system for, and this is very, very impressive writing here, to offer the most immersive and visceral (laughs) horror experience. Uh now that just sounds exciting. Uh <laughs> and like PR speak. So I'm curious, how are you finding working with Unreal Engine 5 and uh can you talk about like the lighting? Because Layers of Fear 2, it just it was incredible with its lighting. And so how are you finding uh your experiences there and creating that atmosphere?
1: Huh, so you know, Unreal Engine offers a lot of stuff, and you know, you see more of a kind of the difference between the first one and what Mm -hmm. we're doing right now like it's older so you see you know the technological difference is much bigger and i know that it's a bit of a marketing speak but it really kind of helps that you have uh like lumen offers a lot of dynamic lighting that we can use that Mm -hmm. that could could have been a problem usually was and so for example uh there are a lot of scenes that have static lighting that is good, but it's very, very little difference between them on when you play. Mm-hmm. So those are the avenues that are open to us that we can kind of impact it more, change it a bit more. So there is, we can use it in different ways that we couldn't before. Uh So how is working with it? Like when we really kind of reach the end line, it looks awesome. And, really like it looks awesome it can be frustrating at times like the original how they you know since they were working on a tech that couldn't do some things there were a lot of fake outs so you know when you let's remake that and like there is a bigger load of work to get it to that point especially Mm -hmm. like for example ray tracing like it's harder to fake stuff because it works as physical lighting so it bounces and it reflects things so you can
0: like some some options are closed but does that mean like it lights up the room incorrectly for the scare that's being set up is that what you mean
1: yeah sometimes it takes more iteration for us to reach something that kind of like for example you know you want to have a corridor that is light light and then dark it kind of since it works as physical light works, like you could fake it out and uh, previously, which right now you have to kind of do more to to reach that good feeling. Mm-hmm. But once you do, uh, it looks much better and it really impacts the scene quite a lot. And the light bounces great, so you know you have light fall offs that create um, like really. Tense atmosphere because it it you, you kind of get immersed easier in it like less mm-hmm. things kind of you see that does not behave as as it's supposed to but you know right now you know when it behaves like it should or when the horror kind of expands and it doesn't so it's a different experience and uh, immersion is a big part of it and Unreal
0: helps us a lot with that. Interesting. Are you? Are you finding that, well, let me back up and say, there's a lot of ways to scare players or scare an audience, depending on like how you're uh, interacting with them, Whether you're watching a movie, playing a game, reading a book. Uh, I mean, you can, you can talk about the fear of the unknown, the fear of loss, atmospheric tension. How do you balance those types of elements, those horror elements in a game so that you're not overloaded with jump scares or overloaded with atmosphere in the wrong times? <laughs> no pressure this is the most the, important question <laughs> yeah
1: that's a heavy topic to be honest and uh, you know that that's a lot of conversations as well and a lot of research Uh, so a lot of this is like th- that's maybe kind of the uh, you know there isn't one horror <laughs> like there is a lot of different horror what you said like there is a lot of you know uh A teen slasher is a horror just as, you know, as a psychedelic horror, a psychological horror, kind of. They are different things, but they are still the same genre. So, first thing that we needed to kind of go deep into is that we are making a psychological horror. That's what Layers of Fear is. It's, you know, focused on on the characters, on their obsession, on art. So, those things that create the mood. So, you know you, you create you this set of tools for lack of a better word like what can you do and what, you, what can't you do and then use them as best as you can and then when to use what mm, since we are uh, we have a story that is uh, more or less linear and we can guide you through it it's just we assume you know on something that we call internally intensity curve which is something like, where do we want to build it? Where do we want to release it? Where do we want to uh, give you a safe space? Uh, and where do we want to make you feel like there's danger when there isn't? Where we, do we want to make you feel like there is no danger, but there is one? So those are the things that we kind of trying to balance out. doubt. So we start from that and then everything else is iteration, but it depends heavily on the game. Like even a few days ago, I watched something about the new Dead Space where they are making a more open world game uh, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they put their, put an entire system that kind of handles that mm-hmm. because they have open world and they are never sure where the player was going to be and what happened before. So, so they kind of, put it on something else and that depends on the game a lot of it is iteration though so you know you go you play and you see does it even work and if it doesn't what can we change
0: given that you're the creative director and you're building on layers of fear one and two so you're you're staying true to those visions but you also get to create new content and make the the new chapter do you favor one type of scare over another
1: uh, that's uh, hmm. I I wouldn't say that because each of them has their place. It's a matter of balance more than anything else. I would mm-hmm. say what I would kind of focus more on, uh, which we we try to do, is mm, intensity. Like it isn't about scare. It isn't about fear scaring you is kind of the, the final note in it a lot of mm-hmm. it is what we built before how do we make it so that you know you feel the unease mm-hmm. you feel like you cannot trust anything With layers of fear which which was made awesome in, in both the games and we are definitely you know putting a lot of effort in doing the same is that the environment changes you know you go in the room and you rotate and there is something completely different behind you that you from where you entered, and things like that. So that there is constant feeling that you know you cannot trust even your own senses because it changes. There is a lot of that, and every scare has its place. So some are more connected to to the story, to the madness and obsession. Jump scares also have their place. Uh, it's just a matter of if you focus too much on one i think and if they are in properly then it becomes a problem mm-hmm. but usually they do different things and we can use all of them to kind of to break the tension and make you make sure that you never know what, ha- what will happen and how it will happen
0: armchair analysts like from a very amateur level do you guys uh gain knowledge from watching things like let's plays or or watching a streamer or an audience kind of react to the game is that a way that you guys get feedback
1: huh Uh, so yes and no like we do it's just not the only way uh Mm -hmm for for the originals especially when when you know it was also very you know a big boom on 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 streaming for for the original layers of fears it's good to see where people behaved a certain way how they did it and also to compare it to like you know when we are playtesting right now and giving to to people that that didn't play it or played the original but not the the uh, the layers of fears Mm, then we can compare that and see uh, what what are the differences, and then you know use that information and see why why did it change? Uh, are we satisfied with that change? Is it better? Is it worse? So that information is definitely useful, and we're using it. It's just just part of the of the bigger puzzle, let's say.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. We had a, a listener named Nerd Propellant who wrote in and said, uh, "Not sure what the question is that he wants to ask, but he thought it was really interesting how layers of fear uh, didn't let players have time to get comfortable with their surroundings, uh, and stuff was constantly changing." And I can remember that from my own experience. like, "I'll walk into a room, and a chair will be in a different spot than it was the moment I, you know, look away and then look back." That kind of thing. Is that something you guys are looking to drop into? uh this these new chapters that you're working on
1: yeah yeah definitely so that's uh that's a, a maybe not a core mechanic uh that's definitely you know uh something different in layers of years and it's something that we are still using it works great with with what we are trying to show and the characters that we are posing it and that sense of unease and lack of trust in everything around around you and you know building the fact that you know you can get into a room that feels safe but it will change all around you is you know a massive tool to, to build tension. and we are still using it and this is, this is you know a large part in why layers of fears works.
0: Interesting. I'm curious if you had to quantify how much new content, that's a weird way to say that in in what you guys are working on, but how much new content is coming into layers of fears versus what players have already played. Is there a way to quantify how much uh, new it is that you're creating?
1: Hi, so there definitely is and we'll definitely be talking about it later. But for now, I can tell you that we are adding content so it is the original content and we are adding those two new chapters which kind of expand the originals but we'll we'll talk more closer to the release
0: gotcha makes sense no worries uh i'm curious how how is how is it going now that you guys have a timeline of early 2023 do you ever feel pressure to Like now that people know that layers of fears is a thing, is there a pressure uptick from say, you know, a year and a half ago when uh, you were kind of able to work in secret?
1: Huh. Uh, That's a good question. Um, I don't think so. It's like, usually we put more pressure on ourselves than, than, you know, that people from the outside. And most of the time it kind of, increases motivation so so the pressure comes mostly from within like from from our from ourselves since we want to do the best thing that we can and when people kind of talk about the game and are you know uh, they are excited to see it and they are reacting really well you know to the trailers that we drop and are asking a lot of questions that kind of motivates us that yeah we're doing something awesome and let's keep let's keep working on it let's keep doing what we can to bring the best thing that we can can bring
0: i that's how my reaction was very similar to what you just described when i saw layers of fears was out i said to myself i need to go back and play layers of fear 2 again uh especially given this season like I, you know in, in preparation for our interview i was like man redownloading cuz that was a fun experience and uh, uh and, and those games are so intense at different moments and sound plays such a such a different role i think in layers of fear because the the quiet and then the the uptick in sound uh, at different times can be so powerful is we talked about lighting in unreal it is sound different in unreal engine 5 uh, versus the previous t- titles huh so yeah um uh
1: maybe maybe let's say like that we like sound is half if not more of what brings horror and intensity uh it's and we're using you, you know using the best to to kind of to bring it more and we're putting more time in it like you know it was the first big bluebird game and we just kind of started from that point and expanded on it so so we just kind of Try to bring it to higher level, and so it is better because we're putting more focus on it. Uh, The tech also changed. Yeah, of course, there is a lot of different stuff that you know technically you could do that was harder than like spatial audio and stuff like this. But what you're talking about is more of a artistic thing and. You know, Arkady Tchaikovsky, the guy who, who made soundtracks for for both of the originals, is coming back to kinda of, to help us with that. So it's just Oh know. that's cool. Yeah, we So it's only better. Yeah, that's that's the that's the goal. Only better. So
0: we're improving that as well. So I have a I have a silly question for you as far as sound goes. With ray tracing, light bounces off of things, and I know nothing about game development, Damien, so just sorry about that. <laughs> um light bounces off of things does sound do something similar uh in any way yeah so
1: more or less you have spatial volumes like like volumes like for the rooms and the insides and you can set it up how it bounces around as well so from where can you hear it how how much does the reverb hope so i'm not also a sound designer uh i know very little on it and you know uh, someone really uh, who specializes and could tell you more but yeah sound bounces as well and yeah we are using that as
0: fair enough fair enough uh we did have a question from another listener adam leonard uh, he was curious if v- there were any plans for Layers of Fear to make fears, pardon me, to make its way to VR. One of the things he noted about Layers of Fear VR was that it was one of the scariest games he'd ever experienced. I would have to think that if that's on the table down the line, uh, VR could be absolutely horrifying for a game like this, especially being in first person. So
1: you you can never say never. Uh mm-hmm. But what I can tell you right now is we're focusing on that. So we just want to bring this to to the end. And from that, you know, decisions will be made. But at this point... Focusing uh, on the 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 standard launch, is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, when you said focusing on that, I wasn't sure if you meant VR or... No, no. (laughs) No, uh,
1: it's just, you know, it's easier and better for everyone if you focus on one thing and do the best we we can with that one thing and then then decide what, what to do later on.
0: Gotcha. Cool. I, I I suppose I have another kind of. I guess it's an armchair analyst type of question. Uh, being that you guys are are Anchar Studios working with Blueber, how many people are working at Anchar on the project? So the team totals uh, from both studios are around I
1: think sixty to seventy at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. So at production, it's around fifty a little bit more.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, at this point in development, I mean, you guys are, are at least several months out at this point. Uh, what's the vibe? Are you guys excited? Are you, uh, nervous? Is it, is it something that you guys are just really anxious to have happen? Or is it a matter of just take our time? Can you say all of them at once? (laughs) (laughs) You certainly Uh, can. Depends on the day. We are excited. Like,
1: you know, the thing is, It's always, you know, tense before you reveal something, but it's also a huge boost when you reveal something and it's it's, you know, it's something that people like that gives us uh, a lot of boost, but you know at this point I think we are more focused than anything else, it's just, you know, work and keep working uh, towards the finish line, yeah Mm -hmm. so, you know, this is the final part of the production, so There is less questions, less things kind of to to find out to to do is just, you know, finish it up and do
0: the best thing that we can. Very cool. Well, this last question is not necessarily layers of fears specific, but it is spooky season, and I'm curious if working on a spooky game, uh, does that are you sick of spooky when you go home or are you getting in the vibe? You told me prior to recording you were playing a uh, a bit of a horror title just ahead of, of chatting with me. Uh, is there too much spooky in your life or are you getting to enjoy the season a bit huh. <laughs> that's a good question
1: honestly uh, during this production it's kind of you like it more but you're also uh, it, it's hard to go out of you know the analytic part of this like mm. you know you play a game and then oh that's how they did it like oh why does it work? Why is it tense? You know, it's like you—you you always, you almost kind of sometimes don't get scared because you think, "How does it work?" And you know, you're like in that in that mode that makes the spooky less spooky. I would say, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, That's when good. you get out of that, it's still good to see what other people are doing, and not just games, movies as well. So.
0: Yes. Yeah. okay cool cool well uh damien i think it'd be a good time here to go ahead and, and wrap up is there any parting word or are there any parting words that you'd like to offer to listeners where should they uh, look for more information on layers of fears uh anything you guys you want them to know uh ahead of release in a few months yeah so <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: i hope they will like it and we'll do whatever we can to to bring something unique to to expand what people already like and give give something awesome to them and the team is working really hard and and you know every day trying to to make something awesome for you and well just just you know stay tuned follow us whenever and we'll probably keep giving more information as time goes on
0: very cool. Uh, well, Damien Kosurek creative director, Layers of Fears, uh, out of Anchar Studios, working with Bloober. Thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your time as well. <laughs>